Today's episode of Growing Pains with David Campbell on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by the It's the Economy Stupid blog. That's David's blog. It's a blog about economic development in Atlantic Canada. Let's get to the show. Welcome, listeners, to another edition of Growing Pains, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to economic development in Atlantic Canada. Today is March 23rd, 2021, and I am joined by Terry Richardson, Chief of the Pabano First Nations, and Jim Richardson, the community's head of economic development. Pabano is located in northeastern New Brunswick near Bathurst. We had a fantastic conversation about the First Nations economic development efforts in the region, They are partnering with communities across northeastern New Brunswick and have a passion for growing a stronger economy, not just for their community, but for around the region. They have a wind energy project and are looking at larger green energy projects. They are partnering to develop tourism in the region. They have a fishery and are expanding their commercial development. They have a vision of the northeast anchored by the port of Beldoon as the new Rotterdam. I love optimism and Chief Richardson and Jim Richardson have that in abundance. We talked about the recent loss and legacy of Gilbert Sewell, one of the most prominent elders in the Pabano First Nations community. We also talked about some of the more challenging issues such as systemic racism and some of the other ongoing barriers holding back First Nations and Indigenous peoples. Good morning, Chief Terry Richardson and Jim Richardson. How are you today? Good, thank you. Very good, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this morning on Growing Pains. Very excited to uh, to talk to you about economic development uh, this morning. But before we do, I wanted to, we lost a very important member of your community over the weekend, Gilbert Sewell. Uh, I was wondering if you could sort of reflect a little bit about on him and his role in the community uh, over his long lifetime. Sure. Uh, you know, it, it, Gilbert was a was an important staple to our community. He was a, an important member to our community. He had so much a, a vast array of knowledge and, and 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 teachings. He was a teacher. He was a former chief in our community as well. Um, you know, so he had so many awards and accolades given to him. Uh, you know, I think of the Order of New Brunswick. Uh, uh, he, he sat with with the Pope. He sat with Diane and journals. I mean, he's he's, he's uh, he was uh, dealing with the French consul in in, in France. Uh, he had so, so, so much uh, things on the go. And, uh, uh, you know, personally, as a chief in the community, I, I was able to, to draw his knowledge and, uh, and uh, to make sure that he kept us grounded because sometimes uh, we get so caught up in, in the day-to-day operations. And especially in our particular perspective, we're so economically driven here right now that we forget uh, that cultural aspect. And, and the great thing about Gilbert is when we talked to him, he always made sure that he, he brought us back, not to forget who we are as a people and, uh, how important it was to maintain that balance. If I could just add as well, you know, the other component of, of Gilbert was oral history. Uh, and oral history is an important component as we relate, relate to the judicial system in Canada. And Gilbert brought a lot of that, uh, certainly as it relates to land claims, treaties, etc. And so that's going to be sorely missed. But he certainly was a promoter for, for our language, for our culture. He wanted to see it grow and wanted to maintain it in the community. And uh, promoted that externally as well. So there's an ambassadorial role in terms of, uh, you know, telling people about the culture, et cetera. Well, thank you so much for telling us about him. Uh, those kinds of leaders are so important in our communities and to, to help us uh, across the province, First Nations and non-First Nations. So thank you so much. Before we get into questions about economic development, I wanted to ask you to give us a little bit about your own background, uh, Chief and, uh, and Jim. 
just tell us uh, a little bit about yourselves and, and in the case of you, uh, Chief Richardson, how you got into that role. So maybe we'll start with you and then we'll, we'll ask Jim for his background as well. Sure. Uh, I guess uh, I, did, I did 25 years in the Canadian Forces in uh, the engineering branch. Uh, uh, I was, uh, done, I've been to some uh, four, four tours of operations. I was in uh, the Gulf War in 91, Bosnia in 98, Afghanistan in 2007, Afghanistan in 2008, different roles. Um, a lot of it was uh, my la- my last role was with the uh, other mentoring liaison team, the Omelet, uh, actually training the Afghan Army in uh, in Afghanistan. Um, I came back. I retired after 24 years. The chief at that time had asked me to come back into the community because of my engineering background. I came in with some major projects we had in the community. Uh, we built a health center, uh, a new powwow grounds. So I, I, I led in those particular uh, projects. Uh, then he asked me to. Uh, Take another role. I had Rally Mining had come into the region, and they needed a big, big well benefits manager. So I ended up taking that role of uh, training First Nations, uh, uh, developing a training program for First Nations miners, getting them employed uh, up at the uh, mine, as well as some contracting opportunities. Uh, then from there, I uh, he asked me to run for council. So I said, "Oh my God, you know my plate wasn't full enough." But I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll become a counselor as long as I can." Uh, once I had the training program up and running with Trevally Mining, it was pretty simple to uh, just keep that going. So I, I, I like to stay busy. So I ended up uh, coming coming back and I ran for council. I was a council for eight years in the community, and then the chief stepped aside and said he was retiring. So I said, uh, "I was asked by the community if I would take the role role as uh, as chief," but I said. Uh, I can't do this by myself, so I was able to uh, recruit my uh, my brother here from the, to come back from the Peruvian uh, jungle to come in and uh, actually come over and give me a hand on the uh, economic development side because we felt that uh, economic development was one of the key issues that we wanted to address, and it would give us a lot of uh, flexibility. And obviously, you know, it, it's, it's common sense. The, the more economically sound you are, the more money you're making this First Nation community, the more able you're not. You don't have to draw on those the, you know, the, the, the federal funding, um, you know, to have to keep you going. You have your own source revenue where you're actually to, able to address some of the shortfalls. And there's a lot of shortfalls uh, with the funding that's received on the federal side with your own source revenue. And, and that's the key for us. And I think that's where we're moving forward. So that's a, a little bit of my background. Chief, you look pretty, you look, sorry, Jim, but Chief, you look pretty young for a man with all that experience. <laughs> Thank you. you. I am a little older than what I look. <laughs> you must be living right, are you? Yes. <laughs> Jim, what, what's your, what's this business about Peru or Peru? Well, you what, see my gray hair, so I've, I've got a little more <clears throat> visible signs of longevity, I guess. Well, first of all, I, I served in the military as a senior officer as well, uh, left the military, uh, went into as a senior management uh, into senior executive in government for two years because I had an MBA from Queens that that uh, just wasn't my cup of tea. Not to say that there's good people there, but I was more, I guess, uh, leaning towards the private sector. Uh, went on and uh, worked with a, an NGO out of out of Ontario, Toronto, globally. I was able to do projects in Bolivia uh, and subsequently left there. Went into banking. Uh, was in banking for a while. I had the opportunity to uh, also be involved as an advocate in indigenous issues, never lost that. Went in to, uh, you know, did some tours or uh, some uh, jaunts uh, with respect to uh, business development in that uh, between First Nations and other countries and places like Taiwan. Uh, was on a trip with the late uh, Elijah Harper and some other leaders uh, during that time. Left that, uh, retired uh, in the Amazon basin, uh, right along the Amazon River, had a boat, did a lot of fishing for 12 years down there. I did, I did do a stint back, though, 
uh, one of the friends wanted me to take over an economic development corporation in British Columbia, in the beautiful Helsic region of the Great Bear Rainforest, which I did. Went back after two years of doing that. Uh, it, it was I built it, and that was good enough for me. I was on a path towards success. And then I uh, went back to fishing again and doing volunteer work uh, in the Amazon basin. And then uh, my son called, and uh, he bought a company in Ottawa and wanted to lead it to transition, which I did. Uh, and after uh, the crucial time of transition, my brother here convinced me to come back here uh, and help with economic development, uh, which I did, uh, and uh, uh, and then asked me to run. And uh, I did that because, uh, first of all, uh, you know, help my brother out, uh, but also, you know, I've had lots of challenges in life, and, and never have I had uh, the ability to work towards bringing about constructive change in the community. Uh, even though it may be a small part that I, a role that I play, it's still a challenge that I look forward to. So here I am and, and we're going forward and we're going to be the mouse at large. So I think that's so great that you, you have such, both of you have such experience that you're able to bring back into the community here in New Brunswick. I think that's really, really great. And I appreciate your leadership. Why don't you, uh, Talk to me a little bit about what your focus is related to economic development. And we could talk about specific projects, but what what are you trying to achieve? You said earlier that economic development was a priority. So what are you trying to achieve uh, in the community? Uh, um, and what, what sort of projects are you working on these days? Sure. Uh, I, I guess from our perspective, it, you know, as I stated earlier, you know, the more economic wealth we're able to create in the community, the more we're able to address the shortfalls we get with the federal funding. Um, our, our goal is to see that we can, you know, our goal obviously is 100% employment is what we'd like to get within the community, number one. Uh, number two is partnerships. Obviously, for us, partnerships are very important. Um, you know, we want to see the whole northern region grow. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not greedy. We want to see the whole, the whole region actually be successful because if the region's successful, we're successful. It's common sense. It's a, you know, the one thing, as many disagreements you may have between First Nations and non-First Nations, the one thing we can all agree on is the economy. Uh, you know, if we have a successful economy, we're all going to be successful. Um, you know, money addresses a lot of your issues. And I, I, I've been putting that with the provincial government. We've been creating, uh, you know, trying to create some, some, some bridges there and some, some common goals. And, and that's important, right? I mean, you know, we can't sit in a corner and fight for four years. And that's one of the approaches we've taken here is, is we've got to work together. Um, to that extent, we've signed, you know, we've signed uh, um, MOUs. We've signed uh, protocols with the city of Bathurst, protocol with the Port of Baldoon. Um, we have MOUs signed with many different uh, industries in the, in the region, or uh, sorry, uh, businesses in the region. Um, we want to see ourselves grow. I mean, uh, we're only a small community, like my brother said. We have quite a bit on the go. We have. Uh, I'm going to leave him expand more on that. On some of the more recent economic development stuff, but you know, we have a windmill, uh, a four megawatt windmill that we that belongs to the community, and, and that's creating generating wealth for the community. We have a trucking company. That we're presently up and running. We're hauling uh, ore concentrate from uh, uh, the mine up here in Trevally to the Port of Baldoon. We also have a, a, a gas bar and a restaurant here in the community. Uh, that's what we have up and running presently. Um, and, and for future projects, I'm gonna I'm gonna relay that to my economic development officer here to uh, to, to, to expand on those things. Thanks. Sure, but just just Jim, before you jump in there, just just for the audience here, how are you? Where do you, where are you in proximity to Bathurst? Are you fairly close, or I've been to the I've been there, but for the audience, yeah, we're about eighteen kilometers just outside of Bathurst. 
Right over by Pamela Falls, which is a beautiful, beautiful. If anybody anybody wants to come up here, they've got to come up and see the falls. It's gorgeous. It's one of the most one of the, one of the most beautiful places in New Brunswick. Yeah, my wife and I went a few years ago. It's absolutely gorgeous. You, you're correct. Okay, Jim. So what what's going on now with economic development? Well, I can just just elaborate a little bit on 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 what uh, my brother the chief said. I mean, you know, we we are focused on economic development, but we we have what we call the quadruple bottom line, which means a balance between social, economic, environment. Uh, uh, you know, in culture. And so that's very important as we move forward. Um, you know, the, the comment about partnership is very important. Partnership is a key to success. And we're looking at, for example, clean energy uh, initiatives, uh, CO2 capture, hydro, uh, hydrogen. Uh, those are major projects with the Port of Baldoon, part of the protocol, uh, protocol agreement with other First Nations as well. I can tell you that we have a, a great relationship with the city uh, or with the province as well. You know, uh, people like Minister Dunn uh, and other ministers who who've assisted us in just listening to some of the things that we have to say with respect to our perspective on moving the economy forward. We have a mall project that's uh, in the city of Bathurst, but it's on traditional territory now. We've assumed we've 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 made it as part of a uh, of the reserve uh, through through a process called the addition to reserve process. Uh, and with that mall, we're going to have. Uh, uh probably opening up in november we're hoping to have a uh, gas bar uh we're not hoping we will have a gas bar restaurant a uh, small strip mall that's in phase one of it the phase two goes into the subsequent year so that will be open in november the phase one phase two will be uh more like an entertainment center uh the city of Bathurst is keenly interested in you know an area for farmers market uh we would want you know in there to have a bingo palace casino that sort of stuff as well and so plans are moving forward in that regard. And uh, there's always knocks on the door in, in terms of another other, a number of other projects that we're working on in terms of partnership. I mean, we have to have the capacity to deliver. So we do that through partnership with companies that, that are able to assist us in that regard. Uh, you know, so we would be like a logistical sort of influence uh, or uh, I wouldn't use the word lobbyist, but you know, working towards building our capacity at the same time. So we, we signed an agreement with the company. The role there is for them to build up capacity within uh, our community as well as we move forward. Uh, I bring, you know, in, in, in negotiations, certainly I've done, you know, uh, presentations to parliamentary committees. I've been on national task forces as well. Uh, and so I have that understanding of, you know, what, uh, what is a win-win, you know, for all. And we just, uh, we, we're very focused on that. <clears throat> Is the community involved at all in uh, in the fishery, uh, shellfish, or any of the any of the fishery? Uh, we, we we do have we do have uh, commercial licenses. We have five lobster commercial licenses. We have a snow crab license, and they're all being fished by our community members. Um, location, location, location is a thing, right? You you hear that so often uh, in economic development as well as the fisheries. We're not right next to the bay like a lot of other First Nation communities. Um, our location is probably more like an hour away from our fishing grounds. Um, we haven't really, you know, gotten into, you know, as much as we respect the right of, of, of our brothers and sisters in Nova Scotia who are, who are in the fight right now about a moderate livelihood and their understanding of what a moderate livelihood is, it may not always be the, 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 at the forefront of every First Nation community other than it's important that it's, you know, it's a right, right space fishery but not everybody, we don't have a lot of community members who are looking to go out and fish. Uh, you know, we, 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 we keep, like I said, our goal here is 100% employment, but on the economic front that we can, you know, that's more closely 
to the community so people don't have to travel an hour to work you know they're they're willing to work more closely with us here i can if i could just add a theme that the, the chief has uh, has uh got all the council on board on is that you know we in in moving forward we may have disagreements with government with others but let's focus on the things that's doable the agreements are the, the disagreements can be there and dealt with at some other point but let's move forward on what's doable right at the moment and so how are you um are you having success is the employment rate going up in the community yes it is actually we're very close to 100 percent employment for anybody who wants to work can work um you know we, we do have the same issues that everybody's experiencing uh you know across the brunswick uh across canada for that fact when you look at you know addiction issues and and, and the opioid outbreak and i mean that those are big things that, that really hurt small communities because you know it, it takes away from our workforce I, I the city of Athens, we have those discussions you know it's 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 so important to keep relationships strong you know i i've sat at tables with the other chiefs and one of the things i've always stressed is you know what what one community's problems are not always another community's problems uh i always i use policing as an example uh you know we have a great relationship with the rcmp um you know we we, we have an open dialogue um we have daily when new when new constables come in they come into the community they meet us they're as a matter of fact, uh, we we have some community, you know, some RCMP who are on uh, on duty now. We're over at the Sacred Fire with uh, with Gilberts, uh, you know, honoring Gilbert. So so these are the things that we, we believe that you know you have to keep that open dialogue. Is there something that could make it better? Sure, but uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I've always been taught is is don't only come with a with a problem, come with a solution. And I think what we've started to look at is is as policing as an example. Uh, you know, let's have a little peacekeeping force here of our own. A First Nation peacekeeping, let's call it a security force. And and they deal with the day-to-day -day mundane stuff, but they still work in, in conjunction with the RCMP. So when the big issues arrive, you still have the RCMP to, to respond. And I think there are solutions. That, and I know a lot of communities will say you can't take that cookie-cutter approach because, you know, every community is different. That's true. But, you know, for, for quite a few of the smaller communities, I believe that's a solution that's achievable. And, and that's what we're looking at. You know, when we go to government, we go to them with not only a problem, but with a solution. And, you know, if you're bringing a solution forward, it helps guide, you know, it, it, everybody has a problem, but if you can come up with a solution, it makes a big difference as well. Yeah, and we, we as well, you know, like, you know, there, there's issues of being process-driven and action-oriented. And sometimes in dealing with levels of government, they, they seem to, they mean well, they have accountability that has to be, uh, taken into consideration. So they seem to be more process driven where we're more action oriented uh, in terms of trying to be on the economic development front. And so sometimes there's there's an issue there. Uh, you know, it's frustration. You know, uh, for example, with one of our clean energy projects, you know, we uh, we needed, uh, you know, uh, to go to the infrastructure bank and that needed political uh, influence. And so uh, it was a time uh, timely process. And we finally, you know, uh, the government of New Brunswick assisted eventually, but we get back of the queue because other provinces have gone and and pushed and, and got that direct influence from cabinet ministers at the federal level, uh, and then their projects, you know, get off the desk uh, in in the infrastructure bank. So those are all kinds of issues that uh, that we deal with from time to time. But you know, our relationship's great. The understanding is there, as the chief said. Uh, and we're, you know, you can't use a cookie cutter approach to all communities. So I read about that 
wind energy project is pretty impressive for a small community. So is that the one that sort of you, you had to raise funding from the infrastructure bank and you had some troubles with or challenges? No. No, that, actually, that one uh, we were able to, to to fund it with our own source revenue as well as some some assistance from uh, ISK. But uh, well, the one that my brother's talking about is the carbon capture project that we're. Uh, it's a huge project that's uh, presently. You know, a lot of the other provinces are uh, are looking at uh, British Columbia, Newfoundland. Um, you know, they're ready to move on it, and uh, it's ironic because New Brunswick was at the front of the queue, and uh, so we're really trying to push the government to say, look. You know, we, we know there's got to be, this is a benefit to the whole northern region. Uh, we've lost a lot of industry, as uh, I don't know if people are aware, you know, we've lost, uh, the, the smelter is going down, is, is now decommissioned uh, in Baldoon. We've lost, uh, uh, the paper mills have gone down up north. Uh, the thermal plant, one of the uh, one of the MB Power uh, facilities up there was, was, was uh, decommissioned. So, so there's a need to, to, to get clean energy, and, and uh, we have a vision for the Port of Beldoon. And we, well, we, I say as, as First Nations, because we're, we're supporting the Port of Beldoon, because we believe in that clean energy aspect. Um, we're looking at it similar to what Amsterdam was like. You know, in, Rod we, in Rotterdam. In Rotterdam, sorry, yeah. It's, it's that same vision of we could be the leading edge of, 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 of this green technology. And I think it's so important because it's a win-win for everybody. And, and uh, you know, we talk about the small nuclear reactor, uh, um, you know, the arcs uh, that the, the province is, is pushing. And, and I believe, you know, we can argue about that as well. You know, people, a lot of people say, well, we don't need nuclear energy. Well, the unfortunate thing is we have wind, solar, hydro. But what do you do when the wind don't blow? What do you do when the water don't flow? And what do you do when the sun don't shine? You need something to fill that void. And especially when we look at, you know, coming forward, we're looking at uh, 2031, where we're talking about everybody owning an electric car. Well, how are we going to power that, those cars, if we don't have power sources? So that's why this, these carbon capture, hydrogen, uh, small nuclear reactor, I believe this is the technology that's going to lead the future. And, and we as New Brunswickers have the chance to be at the front of that line. So if you... If you're able to, uh, is the carbon capture associated with the coal-fired plant, or what, what? What is the project covering? It, it, it is. It, it would create a synthetic fuel. Basically, it's taking a fuel that, uh, and, and you would create car, actually car, carbon. We all know is within within the air itself. So you would actually be taking that carbon, recapturing it, and creating a synthetic fuel with it. But having said that, maybe there's a way to get out to to, to tap that into the carb, you know, into the uh, coal processing plant and now we, we're getting away from that fossil fuel and we're getting into a cleaner energy i think that's the key right is is, is there's there's technology out there and we're, you know and we all know that new brunswick uh, one one thing and i give accolades to nb power you know that they don't blow their own horn and, and people aren't aware but they have cut their carbon capture um emissions by i believe almost 60 to 80 percent i mean it's to maintain it's to get that other 20 percent is going to be the hard part because that's the hard part to get but I mean, they've done a great job doing that in the province, and, and, and they don't toot their own horn very often. So it, I think I think they should because they, they're doing it. But you know, it's the only the negative stuff that people say see. They see the they see the MB power. They see the third the, the coal plant in uh, in in in, Bel in Beldoon. But I mean, you know, hopefully we'll be, we'll be able to do something with that and, and the carbon capture or the hydrogen project that's coming forward as well with uh, with green NB. I, I think those are the projects that are going to help move the, move the move us forward into the green energy phase. Yeah, even if I can just pick up on what my brother said, 
uh, the, the chief, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, the point there is that, you know, we, 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 we look at, uh, you know, uh, the problems with, with uh, ND power. They're 80%, you know, uh, clean energy. Uh, the 20%, you know, uh, solar, be it hydro, is very costly. You know, uh, so you get the you get the problem of the impact on ratepayers. So in comes uh, nuclear energy, so they can pick it up. The problem the problem why it's so costly is because it's intermittent, as as the chief alluded to. You know, the winds don't blow when they should, and so at peak power points, uh, you don't have that energy. So with nuclear, you can store it and, and up you come. And then the other aspect of nuclear too, uh, from what I understand, you know, uh, kudos to the government moving. Uh, a long, it's a long-term thing, but kudos them thinking along that line. There's an export dimension of it as well. You know, uh, you could have 80% of of, the, of of other countries uh, and companies uh, working on on selling those plants. But even if the uh, New Brunswick government and and business here can get 20% of that and exporting that out of our ports, be it St. John, uh, Beldoon, or Dalhousie, wherever they want to export it from one of our ports. Uh, we, we prefer Belhoun, but at any rate, that's another issue. And so, you know, there's that aspect of, of you know, producing the gas is either through hydrogen and that. And, and the other thing I would mention about that, there's an interesting mind map and along the lines of the Rotterdam model, uh, you know, where you've got the all of these forms of new energy feeding in to aquaculture, feeding into agriculture. Uh, you've got wood pellets. You've got all of this stuff that's part of this, interesting synergistic perspective you know the interrelationship with all of these industries and that to me uh, puts new brunswick could put new brunswick on the leading edge uh you know I, I've, I've told people i said i'm really excited when i see that mindset mind map because it really is uh you know a, an interesting and exciting and a doable concept but you must be a little concerned about the potential of the closure of that coal-fired plant because it's still a major employer in the northeast right and there is eventually the, that might phase out right if, uh, well, that's I, I, and you're right and I, I you know that's why we're looking at this as an opportunity to, to 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 do something different with it right whether it be the hydrogen whether it be the carbon there's a way to to keep this plant because it is an asset right but how do we clean it up that's the key and i think there's a way to be it, it can be done and it's just to get everybody to buy into that and that's, I think that's what we're working on, really, to be honest, is is, is trying to, 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 to get those partnerships together and say, look, if we don't all work together, the province is not going to advance. And we're open for business here in Pabano First Nation. As long as we're along those four pillars, of course, we, we, we you know, we, we understand it's got to be socio-economical and it's got to be cultural as well as, as environmental. But you know what? If you do your due diligence, there's opportunities out there. And I think we have to work together to, to make New Brunswick prosper. If we don't, we're all just going to sit here and be shaking our heads saying, oh, my God, how come we're in such dire straits? Well, let's all work together. Let's pull up our sleeves and let's get down to business on the economic side. And let's let's bring people. Let's show them what New Brunswick is. We're all, we all know New Brunswickers are hard workers. We know that for a fact. And we all know that New Brunswick, want, you know, we want to make us, we want to make the, the province prosperous. And, and that's the approach we've taken up here up north and, and from our community and, and working with the our fellow municipalities as well. And just to pick up on the employment issue that you raised with respect to the, the, coal, the, the, the coal plant closure, uh, you know, the, the, the new uh, opportunities generate tenfold the employment. Uh, just, in, just in the CO2 capture alone, I think there's something like a thousand 
jobs. Construction and then close to 250 yeah. to 500 in the employment base. So there's jobs there. I mean, you know, it's creating that industry that's going to take the place and, and, and move us forward. And I, I think we, we can do that. We just got to work together. You know, we, we always, I've always said, you know, in, in, in my previous uh, various incarnations as, at different levels of a job, you know, you need EQ. You need uh, energy, enthusiasm, and a little bit of expertise. And the expertise we're doing, we're, we're gathering through our, you know, our, our partnerships and so on. And once you've got that, you know, the world can unfold. We don't lack in, in enthusiasm and energy here. Uh, you know, it's a doable kind of attitude. And the, the chief brings that. We bring that as a council as well. And, uh, you know, it's just a can-do kind of attitude. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have disappointments on our journey towards success. But we just pick up our, <laughs> I was going to use my old hockey analogy, our jock straps, and away we go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that enthusiasm is coming through in our in our conversation today. Uh, I wanted to ask you about young people because in across the north, across the whole province, really, a lot of young people are leaving our communities are you facing that challenge, or how, how are things with your the youth uh, in your community these days? That, that's a really good question, and, and you know what, that, that is a problem. You're right. The, the, I call it, I, we call it the uh, the brain drain, right? I mean, we all know we're losing a lot of our expertise, and they're all and they're all heading back. Having said that, though, we're getting a lot of people that are coming back, and I think by getting those people coming back, we're going to create more opportunity that's going to keep our young people here. Uh, I know when we talk, and I keep going back to the, the, the CO2 technology, the hydrogen, there's an opportunity there to train our, our young people within our local community colleges and keep them here in our region. And I think that's what we have to do. Uh, the nuclear reactor uh, aspect as well, you know, that's that's a way of keeping, you know, uh, employed. I mean, you know, you're looking at a project that's probably five to seven years down the road, but it's there. Um, so that's an opportunity that's there as well. And, and, and I think we've got to do, that's what we've got to do, develop this industry. The industries are to keep our young people here in our region and, and uh, employed in our region. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, like going down the road, the, the Maritimers way of passage, really. I mean, you know, I, I as, a young, as a young person went to Toronto for the maturing process, I call it. And, you know, so those things happen. And then the rest of Canada sort of looks at it and says, well, you know, why do we, why do we spend all this money uh, transfer payments to to Atlantic Canada, you know, they would profess, take a tugboat, strap a chain around Atlantic Canada, pull it up, pull it up to St. Lawrence. They would, there we'd solve the problem. No, transfer payments are a way of maintaining the geography of this country, this great country. And in the meantime, we want to grow, we want to build, we want to, you know, contribute. And so we are. And uh, you know, as 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 the chief mentioned, uh, you know, and I've met many maritimers across the country, great maritimers, in and in, in abroad, yeah, and I've I've lived in other countries and. You know, I mean, you just sort of scratch your head and say, God, you know, they could only be back home. Uh, but they are coming back. You know, many of them are coming back at a later age, like myself, and still able to contribute and uh, and bring back some expertise and experience. And, uh, and that helps, you know. But we need young people with new ideas as well. You know, uh, this gray hair sometimes gets caught up in the past. You know, uh, I try to be as forward thinking as I can. But you know, the young people are different. They're a different generation, and there's nothing wrong with that. And we've got to accept that and embrace it. Yeah, no doubt. So I wanted to ask you about cooperation. You, you talked earlier about the relationships you've built. I think this sounds very, very interesting to me. Obviously, um, you know, First Nations are sovereign. They have a relationship with the federal government, but they are, are in a geographic context. Uh, you know, they, you know, Bathurst is right there. Other communities are right there. Baldoon, the, all the assets so it's really great to hear that. Can you speak a little bit more about 
uh, how you're building these partnerships with other communities and stakeholders in the region? We all know that everybody's out there fighting for that dollar nowadays. So we can all sit in our little silos and, 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 and try to and try to move forward or we can pool our resources together and start to say, okay, how can we move the region together as a group? And I think that's the key. You know, relationship building is so important. And, 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 and one of the keys we've taken here is partnerships. Partnerships are the key to success. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, you know, you, you, it, it, it diversifies the risk. It diversifies the wealth. It does a lot of things. It gives benefits to everybody. So that's why we've sort of taken that approach of saying, okay, how can we actually make sure that we continue to move forward, but do it in a, and another thing it does, it creates respect, right? I mean, you know, if, if I'm willing to bring my fellow community, and we've done that with the city of Athens, and I know it's hard for municipalities to make money, but there's a way to do it. <laughs> you know, uh, whether it's through um, providing uh, municipality uh, services, fire, police, etc., and then coming into a, a project as a partner, I think that's important because we've got to start looking outside the box. You know, we can't just keep ourselves focused with our blinders on and say, okay, we're going to move forward. We've got to start thinking outside of that because everybody else is doing that. And if we don't do that as a province, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to be successful. So I think it's important, you know, like I stated earlier, I can take my ball and say, okay, well, oh my God, the government, I'm not going to work with the government. Well, no, like my brother said, we can agree to disagree on certain issues. Let's put that aside and let's move forward. Because if we don't move forward, we're going to be bogged down. And as we move forward, you know what? Some of those other issues may start to be addressed. And then you slowly work on them. And, and that's the key. Relationship building is the key to everything. I mean, you know, one thing I've learned in my, uh, in my 25 years in the military and, and going into different war zones is, is that, you know, you've got to get people together. In, in those areas, I was taking, you know, you're working with combatants and you're bringing combatants together. Well, here you're bringing government and First Nations and municipalities together. So it's the same thing. You know, it's, 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 it's not, we're not, hopefully we're not going to be shooting at each other, which is a little different in a war zone. But, you know, we're, we're going to be, you know, we've got to sit at a table and talk. If we don't sit at a table and talk, we're not going to move forward. So I think that's the important thing as we move forward. Yeah, and just to, to build a little bit on that. You know, relationship building is about treating one another with dignity and respect. And one of the things that we've done in protocol agreements and MOUs, we have clauses in there about, you know, recognizing Section 35, uh, you know, the right of Indigenous, right, uh, indigenous rights. Uh, we, we put things in there about recognizing the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. And we also uh, put things in there about the United Nations uh, recommendations on, on the rights of Indigenous people. So Stuart, that's- line one is for you, Stuart. Uh, sorry, <laughs> we we you know that's built in there, and uh, it's not it's not a commitment. It's just a recognition that uh, you know our partners see that as 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 a reality, and so by doing that, they're treating us with dignity, respect, and respect, and it's relationship building. <clears throat> yeah, I think that that's right. Um, but so you you are your council is obviously very focused on development and um, I'm wondering if you're seeing the same level of focus. I don't want to call out any other communities, but in your wider area, because they are getting older, you know, there's, there's more demand for things like retirement services. I, I didn't think there was enough outcry when the smelter closed. That might've been just me, my opinion, but are you seeing, in other councils, uh, city, uh, town, and, and city councils, are you seeing 
when you when you approach them are they are they interested in economic development anymore oh my god yes 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 i mean you know this protocol we've signed with the city of Aberdeen, and I, I think this should be the model that's followed right across new Brunswick. i mean if we're not working together we're working against each other so so, so you know the approach we've taken we've said okay well let's all work together and uh, and, and let's try to to advance the region you know what an old adage i had an old friend of mine one time uh he told me he said you know one dollar or five dollars is better than zero dollars or five dollars. So when you share that wealth and you share it amongst each other, everybody benefits, you know, and, and, and the money stays in the region. And that's the key. I think, you know, if we don't work together and, and start with some of these developments, and I, and I understand the frustration sometimes when you see, you know, you can't you can't dwell on the fact, I mean, we could have, you know, just packed it up and said, oh my God, there's no industry here, what are we gonna do? We've taken the approach, okay, the industry's gone, what can we bring in that's going to, to, to replace that industry, and 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 if you don't have that kind of attitude, you know you're 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 not going to get anywhere. So what's great is is we've been able to to tap in with some of the local municipalities and say, listen, let's work together. The uh, I, I take the mayor and council of Beldoon as well. Uh, you know they realize they said, listen, we've lost a lot of industry here. What can we do to make it grow again? Um, we're very fortunate to have Denny Caron as the CEO of the Port of Beldoon. He's doing a phenomenal job there, trying to keep things going, and he's also part of the of, of, of the Northern Development Regional uh, Commission. So, so I mean, these are the things we have to do. And, and and you know what? They realize that First Nations are an important, integral part of this, and they've taken us into that fold, and they understand what we bring to the table, and they know that it's important that we're all involved in this, and that's the key. <laughs> so, how is the partnership with the provincial government? Is that is that improving? Is that stronger? Uh, you know, ONB and other departments of government. Well, for for us, ONB and uh, RCD, uh, RDC are, are, are we we talk with them and we meet with them regularly, and we're trying to you know move obviously bring industry in. Uh, uh, we're, we're you know wherever we can help. I'm on a uh, I'm on a uh, a mining symposium uh, that's uh, addressing uh, potential investors from the United States and uh, across Canada. Uh, at the end of the month, and I'm going to do my part, what I can, to bring you know, bring industry here. I want them to know that you know we're open. Like I said, we're open for business, respecting the four pillars that we have. But at the same time, if we don't work together, you know, we're not going to. I I I don't want to be the roadblock. You know, if I don't have to be the roadblock, and and, and government, you know, it's unfortunate. I think sometimes we get so caught up and and mm-hmm. uh, you know with one particular issue um, that we we stop everything because of that one issue and. And like, you know, we state it again and I'll state it again. We can agree to disagree, but let's keep going with everything else that we can move forward. Yeah, just picking up on your point about the relationship. I mean, we don't go with our handout. What we're talking about is leveraging. You know, let's leverage resources here. Let's leverage our capacity to raise, raise, raise money outside ourselves. Uh, leverage our capacity as equity in terms of land. Uh, leverage your, your influence with the federal government, uh, municipal governments with the provincial government, etc. Uh, you know, it's all about it's all about leveraging and uh, working in partnership. So when we knock on doors, it's not with our hand out and saying, "Okay, well, let's leverage resources here. How can we collaboratively do things?" And you know, that's our focus. I wanted to ask you to I wanted to raise things up a little more on a regional focus and ask you about First Nations and Indigenous populations. Um, do you think things in general are pre- are improving across the region? Is there more 
And, and again, I appreciate your comments earlier, Jim. It's not all about the money, but is there, you know, you have the four pillars and those are key four pillars, but is there more wealth in the community today? Are people feeling better? Are they, do they have more financial wherewithal in general? If, and again, just in general, what's your perception of things in New Brunswick and across uh, the Maritimes? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's hard to talk for other communities because every community has a different perspective, right? Um, some of the advantages we have as a small community, obviously we're small. That's one advantage, believe it or not. Uh, our leadership is a chief and three counselors. So we always have a quorum when we move forward. We don't have to have a bureaucracy where we, where my brother was talking about process driven. We can, we can afford to be action driven because we're all here. We can get an answer the same day. Um, for other communities, it's challenging. Obviously location is a big thing. Um, capacity within First Nations, um, you know, is, is a big issue, obviously, I think, across the region. Um, I look at, you know, uh, Chief Terry Paul as an example in uh, Nova Scotia. Member two. Yeah. Member two. A community who's outside, who's, you know, they, they've thought outside the box. And we're talking about a, a First Nation community now who's, who owns half of Clearwater, <laughs> you know, in that Clearwater deal. So, so I think, you know, that's what you have to do. Is is think outside that box and 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 gain those opportunities because financial freedom gives you a lot more capacity to do things in your community. Um, you know, from, from from our community perspective, um, a house hasn't been built in our community for five years. We built two houses this year with own source revenue, so we were able to house two families in our community. We plan on doing that two houses for the next four years, for the four years that we're in our, our term runs. Um, so that's creating, you know, opportunity in the community to bring families back because housing in First Nation communities is a big issue. Um, you know, when you look at housing, it, it's probably the key thing with First Nations across uh, Atlantic, the Atlantic region. One of the things, um, when you get down to Nova Scotia, PEI, because of location, obviously the modern livelihood and the fishing has taken a, a, a forefront in, in that particular aspect. Um, in, in New Brunswick, I believe, you know, if we don't work with government, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to advance. And, uh, I don't believe in closing doors. I believe we keep talks open and at the same time, let's have a respectful discussion and let's see what we can move forward. And, and it's for the benefit, not only of first nations, it's for the benefit of everybody in New Brunswick, you know, uh, when industry comes into New Brunswick, they want to know that they're coming into an area where there's not going to be hostility. They want to come into an area where they want to know where there's their security in their investment. And, and that's what's great about, you know, in our region up here north, we take the lead in that. We, we believe in meeting with the proponents immediately and saying, look, look we're, 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 we're here to help you guys grow. We want to see the region grow because the more people that are making money, the more people are coming to our restaurant to eat, the more people are coming to our gas station to buy gas, the more people are going to be going to our retail stores. Uh, you know, that's what we want to see. And, uh, and and obviously, First Nations, the money stays here in the region. That's the reality. First Nations people aren't going anywhere. I mean, our communities, what we what we gain as wealth is spent in the region. Um, and, and I think a lot more businesses are seeing that. And, um, you know, that relationship with First Nations is growing. And, uh, you know, we're excited. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to deny it. I believe we're, we're, we're poised to help northern New Brunswick right now. And, and we're in a situation as a community. Um, we're addressing a lot of our own our own problems with our own source revenue, and and that's the key, you know. And, and we're not like my brother, my brother was saying, you know, we're not going with our hand up. We're saying, you know what, 
if you can't assist us, we're going to leverage this and we'll do it on our own. And, and just to pick up on, on, on the spirit and intent of, of, of your question there with respect to the maritime environment, um, you know, the challenge for First Nation communities get on the radar screen. There's systemic issues there, you know, perceptions that don't conform to reality necessarily. Uh, that's the reality. And so the challenge to get on the radar screen, you know, the, uh, the chief mentioned member two. Years and years ago, I, I went to member two and I suggested that they get ISO certified. Uh, by being ISO certified, they were able to get on the radar screen. They had solid leadership, but, you know, people took notice. Here's the first nation community in probably the world that that's become ISO certified, recognized globally. So in our case, uh, we're working on credibility. You know, our, our method of getting on the radar screen is to be credible. Uh, you know, the emperor has to have clothes. We, we you know, we, we're not going to be blowing wind and things that we can't deliver on. Uh, and we're there showing a rational approach towards dealing with issues, as the chief mentioned, you know, we're moving forward. But there may be disagreements, but we're not going to dwell on disagreements. We're not going to usurp those traditional issues like inherent rights and treaty rights, et cetera. But put that aside right now. You know, it's a constitutional issue that's going to require a lot of change, et cetera. Uh, and it's not doable in the short term. Uh, you know, you can protest, et cetera. But in reality, you're still going to be dealing with it 10 years down the road, perhaps. So let's do with something. Let's deal with something that's doable right now. So getting on the radar screen is a challenge, going back to the spirit of your of your question, uh, because, of, because of systemic discrimination. Yes, indeed, sometimes racism. Uh, that's a reality. <clears throat> do you think that's getting better? I know that's a hard question to answer, but and I don't even I'm just going to leave you to answer that question if you feel like answering it. But do you think it's getting better? Or do you think it's kind of about the same or maybe even getting worse in the last since since you've come back uh, to the to the First Nation? You know, it's a good question, because if you look at us, we're pigmently challenged. I always use that terminology. <laughs> we're pigmently challenged. We don't look Aboriginal, but we are Aboriginal. And, and you know, it, it, it's it's one of the things I've, I've experienced quite a bit of uh, in my time in the Canadian Forces. I, I'm sad to say there is racism there. There's racism in all organizations. But I believe that it's it's at the forefront now where people are, are are realizing. People are saying it. I mean, I don't think I've heard anybody say there's not systematic racism in Canada. I, I believe I've heard that said by many political figures, many people in different institutions. So the question now is how do we address it? How do we get rid of that? And, and you know, it's a good question. That, and here's one of the things I always say that, that that's ironic with our education system. In our education system, we're not taught about Aboriginal history. We're not even taught about the Acadian history. You know, I, I think if we were to bring that in at a younger age, then we start getting more of an understanding as people grow up, they understand the issues that have faced Aboriginal people in, in this country since, for hundreds of years, or since a hundred years at least, right? I mean, it was only until 1960 before we could vote. <laughs> you know, first things is people weren't even allowed to vote. We weren't even allowed to go off the reserve without a note. So, I mean, you know, these are things that, that, that people aren't aware of. And I think that's a history. It's not, I mean, we teach, we teach about, about, about Nazism. We teach about Adolf Hitler. That's not a perfect time in history either. And he wasn't a good person, but why aren't we teaching about the Aboriginal history too? I think that's important. And, and then people would understand the residential school system, that the, the 60s school, you know, and the, and the hardships, the reserve system, how it was created. I think, I think that's key to having a better understanding of where we all are as a society. I mean, and, and, and that's something that I know I'm pushing for within our education system. I believe it's something that should be taught not only you know, in the high school system, but as we go into universities, it should be credits that are given you know, within university to understand 
the hardships and, 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 and the history there. And, and then I believe that, you know, once we all realize where we're coming from, then we're going to all, we'll get along a lot better. Yeah, I'm picking up on, is it getting better? I think it is. I go back to my days. I can remember one thing that really struck me. Uh, when I was in the military, in fact, uh, one of the generals uh, at one of our senior staff meetings came up and said, geez, you know, I, I just came back from, uh, I think it was Toronto going from, uh, or Winnipeg, I think from Winnipeg to Ottawa. And he said, you know, I can't get over these, you know, these Aboriginal people sitting up in first class. You know, uh, the point the point he was making there was, well, you know, we're paying our we're, we're paying we're paying for them to do that. Well, you know, that's far from the truth. If you look at uh, how how um, land and resources that we uh, had uh, contributed to the economy in general, but anyway, uh, and now in the military, there's more of a focus. On, although, albeit lately, I'm I'm hurt by what I'm seeing in terms of uh, uh, you know the issues of uh, sexual discrimination and sexual uh, advances by senior people, but certainly on the Aboriginal side, I saw some positive things there. I think barriers are being broken down, but there's still a perception out there. I remember when I was in Winnipeg, you know, uh, near, near Kenora, Ontario, you go to Kenora and you see some of the, you know, our brothers and sisters that come from the reserve, no place to stay, and they're on the street and maybe sitting outside the liquor store and the people don't oh, look at those guys, nothing but, you know, and so there's a, there's a, there's a branding that people have there. But I think the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, I served on a national task force, uh, no recommendations. Uh, the, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, uh, you know, 50 some million dollars plus uh, with recommendations, no implementation. So, you know, I mean, you know, this is sort of like just something to alleviate the pressure politically uh, and, and nothing concrete comes out of it. But I think the relationship with, uh, with uh, industry, with partners who now realize that uh, partnership as opposed to injunction is the way to go. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we're seeing changes and uh, people are, uh, barriers are gradually breaking down. But unfortunately, uh, there's still elements out there. Yeah, if you look at the Truth and Reconciliation uh, report, I mean, there's been, what, four four recommendations that, you know, have been implemented out of the, out of hundreds, you know. So, so, so we're slowly, you know, that's why when I hear the word inquiry and I hear the word, I, I, I uh, you know, we've been inquired to death as First Nations people. I think we've been studied and inquired to death. It's time to to get some movement, you know, and, and start implementing some of these some of these recommendations. Yeah, and I think that's one of our challenges in the modern world is is not to reduce these things to tokenism, right? So, so I agree with that. I think the education thing, uh, uh, Chief, is absolutely right. If we had, if young people understood exactly what has happened in our history. Um, you know, then they, as they interact with First Nations and Indigenous people, would have a much, I, I would assume, much more sensitivity and, and understanding when it comes to that. So, yeah, so I think that's our risk, right? We live in a social media world, and if you can show a picture of some sort of partnership or you can make sure you have a person of color in your advertising, then you're done. Uh, and, in fact, you're not done. That's just tokenism. You're done when you've, you've, you've worked very hard to, to um, reduce these sort of systemic challenges and racism. So I appreciate you, you talking about uh, that uh, this morning. But, unfortunately, I have to take you back because I wanted to ask you a question about tourism. So we went from a very weighty issue. Sorry, I have to pivot back to that. But I wanted to ask you, we talked about Pabano Falls earlier. You talked about your restaurant and other commercial activities. What, what are you – are you – Working on tourism, are you trying to attract uh, more uh, visitors to the region? Definitely. I mean, uh, we've got the Mi'kmaq Trail here, which is a huge draw. Uh, uh, 
it's uh, basically run by uh, Samuel Daigle, who used to be a, a doctor in the region. Uh, him and his wife, uh, and they've taken the trail under as one of their uh, one of their projects. At Pavano Falls, we're looking at a, a walking bridge to go across the falls, so that people will actually be able to see the salmon as they're jumping up this uh, up the up the river. One of the things that we are very uh, keen on here is uh, salmon enhancement in our First Nation community. Uh, we have a counting fence that we count salmon uh, within the community to go up um, to make sure that we keep salmon within the Nipiskwit River. Uh, we have a strong relationship with the Nipiskwit Salmon Association as well as the Atlantic Salmon Association in regards to keeping salmon on the river. Um, one of the things we're adding this year as a, as a, new, uh, a new project is we're going to do uh, riverside fertilization. In other words, we're going to be milking the salmon on site to actually fertilize them. And then, because in the past, what we're doing is we're taking salmon and we're transporting them up to that salmon hatchery in uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. But the problem we have with that particular process is that sometimes we lose a salmon or two because of the, the stress of the salmon being transported up there. Uh, we're only able to start collecting salmon at when, when the salmon hatchery is ready to receive. What we're, our hope is, and we're dealing with DFO as well to make sure we maintain that balance, is we'll be able to actually start milking salmon here. And the only thing we're going to be transporting are the eggs. So this will be a tourism draw for people to actually come and see the salmon as they're kept in the pen, watch the process of the salmon being milked, and watch, watch the process of the fertilization of the eggs and the storage of the eggs until we transport them. So, so that's one of the big things we're, we're, we're working on up here. We've also, uh, you know, the trail system, again, is, is something that's huge for us. And Pamela Falls is something that we're, we, we really we have a vision of, of trying to see how we can work with tourism and, be, and, and bring more people here. But we do get quite a few people who come there. As you had stated yourself, you've had the chance with you and your wife to come and see. It's beautiful up here, um, you know, especially when the, in, the, in the fall when the salmon are jumping. Uh, we get a lot of people up here. So, you know, these are things that I believe that we, we don't realize how beautiful New Brunswick is. We take it for granted because we live here. But there's a lot of people who come from other areas who, who can't believe the beauty that we have in New Brunswick. And I think that's one of the things we don't, we don't do enough of is sell New Brunswick. And, and I believe that's something where we're, we're going to try to work with with tourism and meat. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, that remember, we, we talked about the protocol agreement with the city of Bathurst. Uh, in that protocol agreement uh, is an issue with respect to promoting tourism and talking collectively on uh, how we can collaborate in terms of uh, promoting tourism opportunities culturally and uh, uh, and economically. So uh, that's in partnership. You know, we just can't do it alone. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation this morning. It's been very enlightening. I, I, I didn't know half of what you guys are up to. So, and I'm sure my, the audience here uh, will be very interested to hear what you're doing. Um, but I did want to ask you just a final question about, well, basically, how optimistic are you about the next five to 10 years? And I think I know the answer from everything you said <laughs> this morning, but maybe we'll end on that. Maybe we'll start, Chief, with you and then, and then Councillor, if you could answer as well. well I, I'm optimistic. I, I believe we're, we've got, we're, we're setting ourselves up with our partnerships. We're on the cusp. I'm telling you now, the cusp of Northern New Brunswick becoming a, a power again. And, and we're gonna, I know we're going to work as a chief and council here to do everything we can in our power to assist in, in making Northern New Brunswick prosperous because for the benefit of all of New Brunswickers. Um, you know, if, if we all work together, we're going to get further ahead. And, and, and partnerships are the key, and we're not going to change our vision. And I believe, you know, we have a 10-year vision of where we want to be as a community. 
And I'm hoping that we can, if we have to drag everybody along with us, we're going to drag everybody along with us. But we're we're not going to stop working. Uh, uh, we put in seven days a week if we have to. And uh, you know, our, our our vision is to is to have a prosperous northern New Brunswick, which is going to be for the benefit of all New Brunswickers. And I'm very optimistic. I think we're we're there. We're going to get it done. Yeah. Well, just uh, just a comment on that. You can see that we don't lack uh, no don't uh, uh, lack optimism. And we do have a can-do attitude, and we hope to make that contagious. Uh, the fiddle music can go, and we'll dance as much as we can once COVID is over. So I'm optimistic that uh, that we're going to see a brighter future here. Uh, we are New Brunswickers. Uh, we may be Indigenous, but we're part of the greater community. And collectively, in partnership, we'll make a difference. Well, thank you for joining us today on Growing Pains. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and to, our, to your audience out there, listen. Cabin was open for business. Knock on our door anytime you want. Growing Pains with David Campbell is produced by me, Matt George. Is engineered by the great Zachary Pelche and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.